Hello SFIA audio listeners, in this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, we'll take a look at what sorts of alien behemoths might be possible under known science. To hear it and every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur and use my code IsaacArthur. We often celebrate the pioneering spirit and hope to see it applied in the future to settle distant barren worlds and transform them into future paradises, but they might not begin that way. We usually try to focus on the more cheerful aspects of the future, but while we're getting started and you're grabbing a drink and a snack, I should note that today's topic will be a bit more grim. Title aside, we're as interested in alternative approaches to classic prisons as their sci-fi equivalents today, options like corrective therapies or virtual reality, but we're also curious at looking at how such facilities might be used for space colonization such as settling harsh worlds with prisoners. Today's episode also has the somewhat distinct honor of having been a runner-up in two separate topic polls, though under different names, the specific topic of space prisons or penal colonies, and the general concept of rogue civilizations. We often discuss how in the future we are probably more likely to diverge socially than converge, and we also mention how the sheer size of future humanity, in terms of both numbers and territory, would eclipse modern civilizations the same way modern superpowers compare to small Paleolithic tribes. In such a context, even tiny fractions of the total human population could have splinter civilizations that dwarf anything existing nowadays, and many of them, by their very nature, would tend to be intentionally isolated from any main civilization either by their choice or by exile. We'll be looking at some of these rogue civilizations this year, and I thought we'd begin with an example of the latter case, exile, and the classic penal colony planet. Space prisons and penal colonies are incredibly common in science fiction, indeed it's hard to think of a series that hasn't had one, sometimes it's a whole planet officially devoted to being a prison, like Hedante in the Stargate SG-1 episode Prisoners, or the deportation of Terrans that would end up as the origin of the Terran Confederacy in the StarCraft franchise. Other times it's more unofficial, like SETI Alpha 5 in Star Trek, the world Khan Noonien Singh and his followers from the Botany Bay were exiled to by Captain Cook. Both the Star Trek and Stargate franchises do a lot of prison episodes, Cook himself gets dumped on Ruapente, a Klingon penal colony, in the sixth Star Trek film. Ships are pretty common in this trope too, sometimes as prison transports, and other times where the heroes of the series escaped from. Battlestar Galactica had one in both the original and the remake, with Richard Hatch from the original series playing the nominal leader of that prison ship in the remake, Tom Zarek of the Astral Queen. The show Blake 7 basically starts with the main cast on a prison transport ship heading to a prison planet, Cygnus Alpha. While it's good for storytelling, it often seems a rather impractical notion, giving over a whole planet to be a prison, but of course it's hardly without precedent if not to the planetary scale. This episode will be coming out just before Australia Day, a timing I couldn't quite resist, as it commemorates the First Fleet's arrival there to establish a penal colony. 
I have to say, while I picked this week for the episode mostly to tease our upside down cousins, there's actually quite a fascinating history to that founding that we will of course skip here, this is not a history channel, but which I would recommend exploring. Of course Australia is wholly unique in this role, and indeed its founding was largely due to the loss of the American colonies more than a decade prior. It was fairly common for prisoners to be transported to the US as indentured servants, and Cromwell also sent folks to Western Ireland even before that. Siberia was a common destination for prisoners from Russia, Portugal used Angola for this, and it's been quite common throughout history to banish whole groups of folks to hostile places. It's quite common for empires to settle other regions and mistreat the indigenous population, something that we probably need not worry about when colonizing an apparently dead world like Mars or Venus, but those empires also were often rather brutal or deceptive in their treatment of their own colonists, and that would be something to worry about in the future too. This gives us the basic premise we see in sci-fi, colonizing places is traditionally dangerous and such places are remote, so it makes sense to send criminals there to civilize the world. I choose the word civilize here because we tend to immediately doubt the wisdom of making a colony peopled with criminals since they presumably won't be very civilized and won't like you very much. But in practice that hasn't been an issue. The American colonies obviously did break away from the British Crown, but that had little to do with any grudge over penal colonies, nor do I recall legions of kangaroo-riding Australians raiding England, and I'm sure history would have recorded that if it happened. Countries are of course heavily influenced by their founders, and by their relations with their motherlands, if they have them, but it is worth remembering that an awful lot of nations were founded by folks who, minus a lot of historical whitewashing, were basically pirates, thugs, and brigands. So while founding a nation with criminals might seem unwise, it's probably not too bad an approach, and we'll bypass the obvious joke about most nations still being run by pirates, thugs, and brigands. What a civilization's judicial philosophy is also might not matter much. While at first glance the motives for what to do with prisoners would seem important, whether you are focused on punishment or rehabilitation, retributive justice versus restorative justice, these can often have the same essential features. For instance, in a highly automated future society there is precious little need to use prisoners for dangerous forced labor, but that hardly means you wouldn't have them do it anyway. A popular punishment in the military is to hand an offender a shovel and have them dig a hole. Traditionally digging ditches, foxholes, and latrine pits was a common activity for soldiers but less so these days, but we often still have folks do it. One can argue it's good exercise and good practice should the need arise, and idle hands being the devil's workshop is a fairly common attitude. From the other perspective, simple punishment, nowadays when such a task is done with the hole dug, the second half of the punishment is filling it in, I think the notion being that you're telling them their work is utterly pointless. A high-tech civilization, and certainly a post-scarcity society, has no real need for prison labor, but that would hardly mean they wouldn't use it. There's a common notion that folks with antisocial tendencies can sometimes be forced to develop social skills when stuffed together, 
especially if we're not talking about psychopathic murderers, who are the minority of killers, let alone prisoners. Stick a thousand criminals on an island with no guards and reasonable supplies, and odds are pretty good they'll put together a society that's at least nominally functional and maybe develop a greater appreciation for living in normal society and following the rules of one. I personally am generally neutral on judicial philosophies of dealing with criminals, I've too many friends who are law enforcement, attorneys, or judges with differing views on the matter, not to mention a fair few friends who are ex-convicts, and it's tended to leave me rather dubious about any studies or reports documenting how this or that approach is clearly the better one, cherry-picking data seems to be common. And of course on this channel, while we like to raise the ethical issues for consideration, I try to keep neutral on them. It's a point for remembering though, We often assume the future is low on crime and very gentle if firm with criminals, but we might be making big assumptions there. For instance, our first assumptions about a post-scarcity civilization with technology like virtual reality and life extension is that a lot of crime ought to be nearly unheard of, mostly crimes of passion and even those would likely be reduced. You have no real reason to steal a loaf of bread since there's no starving family to motivate it. But there's a second interpretation of that, a society in which you have plenty of wealth and lots of virtual reality for less savory desires is presumably one with less crime, but it might also be one which has far less tolerance of crime. We are generally a lot more lenient on crimes where the basic motivations seemed at least a little reasonable and forgivable. Such a society, where you have almost anything you want, might be beyond draconian on those who still break the rules. This is also ignoring that you might have a lot of folks who had selfish or decadent attitudes and long lifespans who might intentionally commit crimes for the thrill of it, and on the subject of longer lifespans, while on the one hand it makes the notion of life senses seem implausible, I'm not so sure that would be the case. Even assuming we accept the notion that anyone can be reformed, there's a lot less motivation for early release and probation when you have life extension. You wouldn't have a parole board looking at an old and frail 70 year old who killed someone decades ago and thinking it a safe gamble to release them, since that 70 year old might have the body of a 20 year old and have many centuries left to them. As we mentioned in the brainwashing episode, There's a very real chance in the future we'll be good enough at our psychology that we can reform almost anyone, almost instantly, but that's likely to be voluntary, a person gets the option of such brainwashing or doing their time, and a society that has very good psychologists who can minimize recidivism might be quite fine with very long sentences for anyone who refuses the treatment and probably can check their mindset at the parole hearing with a strong certainty of how likely they are to repeat their crimes. If an expert can come in front of that board and say, this man still has a 20% chance of killing again and still refuses treatment, they are very likely to shrug and send that man back, whether it's been a year since his incarceration or a millennia. Speaking of brains though, One thing to keep in mind about future criminals is that they might not be quite human. We often talk about transhumanism on the channel and what's called speed intelligence, one of our three types of super intelligence. 
where you still have a human intellect but can speed up your thinking to experience more time from your perspective, what we also sometimes call frame jacking. Our brains operate at roughly the speed of sound, an augmented mind using optics would operate at light speed, a million times faster, experiencing a year in under a minute. If you have virtual reality, you could hypothetically make someone with such augmentation experience a prison stay of a century in about an hour of real time. We see examples of this in both the Outer Limits episode The Sentence, where a scientist tries to deal with overcrowded and underfunded prisons by inventing a virtual prison with such an expedited timeline, and we see that also in Star Trek Deep Space Nine's episode Hard Time, where Chief O'Brien gets 20 years of prison time implanted into his mind by an alien government. Virtual prisons of this sort or another are certainly one option. Before we dip into that though, I should note the subjective time can go the other way too. If you can speed thoughts up, you can slow them down as well. So a prisoner sentenced to a decade in jail who's got such mind augmentation might instead frame jack to such a low speed he only experiences mere minutes. This then becomes the same problem we have with science fiction that suggests sentences could be sold while frozen. All you've done is remove that person from play for a while, they experience no rehabilitation, nor retribution, beyond however much being jumped ahead in time might upset them. It probably goes without saying that the classic sci-fi prison planet isn't too likely to happen, though not because of a lack of planets or prisoners. Your typical Kardashev II civilization of a billion billion people could obviously fill up several planets with prisoners, even with incredibly low crime rates and population densities on those prison planets parallel to an Ichmonopolis city planet. We'll discuss this more in a moment. But as we were discussing earlier this month, for a lot of high-tech civilizations, world and planet are not synonymous. They're going to have many worlds that are artificial habitats, like O'Neill cylinders, and lots of planets that are entirely virtual. If for some reason you want that Mad Max dystopian wasteland for your prison planet, that's a lot easier to do in a virtual reality than an actual real planet. Note that we're seeing a lot more options than just some barren world you'd dump prisoners on, and it's not like you'd actually have planets that were barely habitable lying around. Worlds in general will either be terraformed, in the midst of terraforming, or utterly lethal to life, and the midway point where they aren't quite lethal but would only be survivable after a lot of terraforming and time. The galaxy isn't likely to have places with breathable atmospheres lying around in abundance, and as the easiest to terraform, they'd be valuable real estate, not low-value discards. So a prison planet would likely be a temporary place, used during that time it was harsh but livable, and moved on to another world in a century or so, unless you intentionally kept it that way. Such brutal planets have an appeal in science fiction of course, and not just for punishment. In Frank Herbert's classic Dune novels, the Empire uses a hostile world called Seleucus Secundus officially as a prison planet, but in reality as a Darwinian recruitment and retraining facility for its elite military, the Sardaukar. In that story, the harsh desert world of Arrakis, also known as Dune, 
essentially represents an even harsher and more superior recruitment and training world. There's a logic to such an approach, even if it's ethically atrocious, but one hardly needs an entire harsh death world to achieve that, even ignoring virtual reality training scenarios. Large islands or continents on a planet, or smaller artificial habitats, would work as well and be easier to monitor. Of course virtual reality is even easier to monitor, but if you do have some planet you're using this way, you can make it very hard to escape from. You could wrap it in surveillance and defense satellites, or even an intentional Kessler Syndrome event of orbital debris. That latter is an excellent way to temporarily quarantine a planet if you figure its criminal colonists will probably be civilized in a few generations when the space debris is cleared. This sort of setup makes it very hard to have guards on a penal colony though, unless you're recruiting them from the better behaved prisoners for some sort of reward perhaps, and that raises the fairly nasty scenario of people being born in penal colonies who are guilty of no crime. Going this pathway could also result in hereditary caste systems, like guards being the children of the previous guards. Alternatively, you could make the prison single gender, or sterilize the inmates, and avoid the issue of children and even replace them with other colonists later on. Similarly, an O'Neill cylinder in orbit of Earth makes a good prison, but without the guards needing to be cut off from society. We often envision thousands or millions of those in orbit of Earth, and it's fairly easy and quick to travel between them. One also can hardly dig your way out of a space station with a spoon any more than you can off-planet, so prison breaks are hard and need to be external. There's a basic dichotomy with prison location that still applies to space stations, planets, and even virtual reality. If you stick it far away from the main civilization, it's a logistics nightmare supplying it and guarding it. Every transport carrying prisoners has to be guarded along a fairly well-known, lengthy, and vulnerable route, and the same is true of every supply convoy and even the transports for the guards, who don't really want to live far from civilization in a compound for long rotations. The location itself is isolated and will be delayed getting reinforcements from any major attack, and those reinforcements are vulnerable to ambush and rout. It's also a major hindrance for those wishing to visit the prisoners, like their family or legal counsel. Sticking a prison in the middle of a city avoids most of this, but it is unpopular, as no one wants to live near one, hard to isolate and secure and will likely have dependencies on the local infrastructure. Budget matters, and you're likely to have your water, sewer, power, and emergency services connected into the local system, which are harder to secure and also to protect from bribery or coercion of the folks working there. All such places need evacuation plans in event of riots, prison breaks, or a strike team just running in the front door during visiting hours to take hostages and bust out their targets and once they're outside the facility, in the middle of a city, it's much easier to fade out of sight and much harder to lock down or search for escapees. Even in the virtual prison case, those folks are stored somewhere, and we have to keep in mind a society using mind augmentation to implant memories or expedite sentences or stick people in tailor-made hells or redemption quests is also one where purging memories is probably possible. So maybe you can implant a long-term prison stay in minutes, 
but some black market group can probably remove those quickly too. The same would apply for brainwashing, someone knowing they're going to be arrested and offered a good mind scrubbing of certain behavior might arrange for treatment afterward, potentially even to be kidnapped by their deprogrammers if such rehabilitation treatment includes an injunction against having it removed. It also raises the question of how we deal with people who had backup copies of their minds, potentially ones made before they committed the criminal act or even planned it, or how you go about imprisoning someone with an uploaded digital mind. We also shouldn't ignore that even in a highly automated society there's likely to be unpleasant or dangerous tasks still, even if only by a relative standard. We often speculate that we'd not have too much of a problem coming up with volunteers for colony missions, but we can't be sure of that, and you could bolster your numbers by recruiting from folks serving time, avoiding those with very violent or deranged tendencies. Many might cheerfully take the option of serving a colony or space freighter. As we mentioned in Sleeper Ships a couple months back, there's not much prestige or glamour to tempt folks to serve on the crew of a big slow freighter hauling ice or ore around on journeys of years or decades. You can't really hijack spaceships and sail to a port of your choosing. Once you're up to speed, you're pretty much locked on that course, and indeed freighters between existing ports are quite likely to be relying on the destination port, not internal fuel, to slow them down. It's more efficient, not having to carry tons of fuel for slowdown or reserves for course corrections, but also more dangerous. Plenty of historical precedent for that too, a lot of ships got their junior crew by basically emptying out the prison at their port of call. If it's getting you a sentence reduction, partially tied to good behavior, a mutiny on a ship that can't really change course is probably not too likely. It's also hard to guess at punishments in the future. It's common for instance to suggest that if we had life extension treatment, prisoners wouldn't get them, avoiding the multi-century life sentence issue, but I find that a bit unlikely if such treatments are already available to the average citizen. Those citizens might have changing views on crime and punishment too, as we suggested earlier, in a prosperous civilization there's likely to be less sympathy for crimes. They might expand crimes too, it's not really that hard to imagine thought crimes coming up, but I'm thinking more of a lot of the courses or workshops we often have for folks who have anger management issues or so on. Crime isn't the only way someone might get sent to some virtual prison to fix their behavior. I could easily imagine a lot of companies or communities firing or ostracizing people for certain behavior but offering them the option of an entirely voluntary course especially if they could experience it quickly. Little Timmy's parents sent him to the futuristic version of juvie or military school hoping to correct his antisocial behavior, or Bob managed to irritate all of his neighbors in his condominium building and the condo board tells him he either has to move out or has to go into some time accelerated or memory implanted virtual corrective course. We're painting a fairly grim picture I suspect, as we try to survey all these various options. Again, our goal today isn't really to say what's ethical or more effective, you can contemplate that yourself or discuss it in the comments section or our social media platforms. I suspect we will see a future with a lot less crime and a lot of superior alternatives for addressing it, but it is good to remember that while the future offers many benefits, 
It also offers many challenges, and many of those will be ethical ones, and are best overcome by contemplation and foresight. As we enter into space, first our own solar system and its thousands of minor planets, then onto the galaxy, one problem facing us might be a shortage of colonists. Early on you have prestige helping with recruitment, but there's little of that when there's billions of stars to settle and you've done it hundreds of times already. We've addressed some ways of getting around that, either by taking your time or using techniques like cloning, but I suspect there will be a temptation to push with colonization quickly once we can, and using prisoners or subsidizing colonies with groups of folks who want to be away and who you'd like to leave too is something I suspect many civilizations in the future will have to wrestle with. In future episodes, we'll look at some of the other scenarios besides prisoners and the potential rogue civilizations those might produce. One thing to remember though, as I mentioned earlier, many a nation got founded by convicts, pirates, brigands, or other rogues, and that's often ended in a lot of just, creative, and vibrant civilizations, and may do so in the future too. So we were talking about off-world colonies today from a slightly different perspective than normal, and we'll be continuing that throughout the year, but it's always worth remembering that we still haven't gotten yet, even on the moon, and even 50 years after we first went there. I'm very glad to announce a new sponsor for SFIA, CuriosityStream, which has an amazing catalog of top quality science documentaries you can peruse, and I'd recommend the series Destination Moon, which is a good hard look at the options and challenges for getting a base on the moon with great visuals and narration. CuriosityStream is a subscription streaming service that offers over 2,000 documentaries and non-fiction titles from some of the world's best filmmakers, including exclusive originals. You can get unlimited access starting at just $2.99 a month, and for our audience, the first 30 days are completely free if you sign up at CuriosityStream.com slash IsaacArthur during the sign-up process. From the founder of the Discovery Channel, CuriosityStream offers a ton of amazing content on space, science, history, technology, and more. And again, the first month is free. So today we were talking about our future among the stars, and next week we'll discuss our possible past among the stars, the concept of panspermia, that life may have originated off of Earth. The week after that, we'll be talking about space colonization again as we contemplate the impacts radical life extension would have on generation ships and the notion of serial colony ships that only stop briefly at each new world, setting up and moving on to the next, in Galactic Gardeners. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and share it with others. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.